my friends, you're listening to Autism and Us with me, Maisie. When my son was diagnosed with autism at the age of four, I didn't know anything about autism. Oh wait, I'd seen Rain Man in the 80s. At the beginning, I felt devastated, isolated and afraid. Diagnosis day, the darkest of my life. It wasn't the masses of written information I was given that helped me. It was sharing stories with other Spectrum parents I met along the way, giving me tips and advice, and most importantly, made me feel like I'm not alone. I am no expert and don't claim to be. I'm a parent at the start of my journey. Each episode, I will be talking to a parent or a close family member of someone with autism, and they will share their story from the early years to diagnosis to present day. Welcome to Autism and Us. Today, I am talking to my lovely friend Finn about her experience of raising her now teenage son, Rob. This episode is very much about Finn's journey and in some parts focuses on the difficulties many parents of autistic children or young people face when it comes to the local authority and the level of care and support that is provided. As we all know, things have been and are pretty bad at the moment and there are lots of cuts to services that really we can't manage without and this in turn makes an already difficult situation so much more stressful than it has to be. These are not just numbers, these are our children, our lives and their futures. I don't think this is an uncommon issue when it comes to parenting children with special needs. I think this is a widespread problem and you need to be so strong to face and cope with all the barriers that are put up and sometimes that strength wavers. So if you have a family member or a friend who you know is raising an autistic child or young person or a child or young person with a disability, check in on them. Let them know you are there and if you can, offer some of your time to help with whatever they may need. Hello, Finn. Hello. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. So tell me a little bit about your life before you had your son, Rob. Uh, We were having a lot of fun. My daughter was four and a half just before my son was born. And we had a lot of friends around the house, big network. We did a lot of exciting things. Was it in London that you It was in London, but we managed to get out of London quite a lot to visit family and Are you from London originally? Originally from somewhere near Birmingham. Oh, really? And um, (laughs) so you're like very social family, you know, and was your son planned? In a sense, did you always want two kids? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And what was the pregnancy like? Pregnancy was, I mean, having had a child already, I I was sort of inevitably comparing it. I was less anxious because um, my second child, first child turned out fine and everything went smoothly woothly. So I wasn't reading so many books. I was just getting on with it all really. The pregnancy did feel different though. I was aware that my son wasn't, I didn't know if he was a boy or a girl at the time. Okay. Um, I didn't find out until he was born, but I was aware that he wasn't moving so much compared to my daughter that was much more active in the womb. When you tune into all those beautiful physical sensations in your abdomen, <laughs> my daughter, I, you know, I could feel elbows kicking and I really got a sense of her moving around a lot. And with my son, there were just, it just felt like there might be some movements, but there wasn't a lot of turning or twisting or, yeah. yeah. So where was your son born in terms, was it London Hospital he was born in a London hospital. Right, and, and, all, and obviously birth is horrendous anyway, but it was all... I had a section. Did you? But I wasn't so anxious again because I had a section the first time, so I was ready, bring it on. I was. I remember being awake, you know, awake obviously yeah. during the, the procedure and, and saying thank you to the anaesthetist and, and being okay with the whole thing. 
and went very smooth and and it was a boy and you were like and oh, it was a boy one of each. And, yeah that's great yeah. and so um, and he was nine and a half pounds so there was no concerns around his weight or anything big well, boy big boy um charlie was ten and a half so feel feel your pain did you have pain did you Oh, God, I... Did you have a section? No. Oh, Jesus. I didn't. I had the worst. I had the old, uh, what are they Fondue. called? Uh, <laughs> yeah, the old, the, what does my mum call them? Well, forceps, oh, but something much worse. Probably like huge, horrible tweezers. But yeah. No, and he, we, I had quite a traumatic birth with him as well. So I was in labour for three and a half days. It was awful, but yeah, all okay once he came out. So so you go home, well you've got your beautiful baby <laughs> boy. Um, and can you talk to me a bit about... so? I mean, everyone's story is different, but the kind of early years, so not to two, and kind of how that looked. And I mean, even before we we actually left the hospital, because I had a section, I was in there a couple of days. I had concerns, but I wasn't. I was a bit more of an experienced parent. I wasn't panicking about what I saw. And what was I there? didn't what alert the, the doctors. Um, he was vomiting. Okay. All the time, it was just like uh, after a feed, he, he was just bringing the whole lot back up. I didn't even say anything to the staff because I just thought they're going to say he's a baby. They vomit. That's what they do. But with my daughter, she didn't vomit ever. There was never any of this or regurgitate and none, none of that going on at all. So yeah. I just thought, OK, maybe I was just lucky before and, and she was just lucky that nothing ever wanted to come up the other way. Right, yeah. So that was my initial... He was a very sleepy baby at first and then he started screaming... It wasn't like he just screamed all night. It would there would be episodes where he would scream for about forty minutes and completely unconsolable. So like you'd done everything, you know, that you'd done the change, you'd done the feed, you'd done yeah. the, and you're just like what? And, could... and I was still breastfeeding him. Even that wasn't able to comfort him. And then it was really weird. And then suddenly he, it would stop, and he just as, as if it never happened. And did you remember talking to your partner and saying that's that's odd, or was it just oh he's a grouchy baby? I didn't really because I didn't think anyone would. I spoke to my partner's mother, actually, my mother-in-law, because she was a bit more receptive, I think, to and wanted to offer some support because whilst all this was going on, I got very tired, but not tired in a way that I was tired, a, a bit wired, really, because I wasn't able to sleep. I was kind of changing sheets through the night because that sickness went on all through the night. Oh, God. Well, so he was still bringing up the milk yeah, continuously. Yeah. And how did that affect his weight? Was he... He put on weight. He was a, he was a funny baby. Um, and then meanwhile, I got very, very, very thin, which is why I think my mother-in-law sort of stepped in a bit to help us. Yeah. And she got us to the doctors. But we had many, many visits to, the, to our GP that didn't really know... So you said he seems uncomfortable in his own skin and he's also doing this regurgitating, vomiting, yeah. the milk. I also noticed he had this sort of um, noise, like a, a hoopy sound in his coming from his throat, which nobody else, just uh, people just sort of mad. Um, I mean, you must have thought... I could hear I? it. Yeah. It, was quite, it was quite slight. But as he grew up, he, he has sort of Tourette's and has some tics. Right. Vocal tics. And that vocal tic that was there from, definitely from six months, sort of stayed with him for many years. Oh, Finn, that's, that's, I mean, you know, it's your life, but it's so interesting to hear that it's yeah. still there. I mean, some of yeah. the, some of Charlie's behaviours that he had even then are still there now, but also at the time I never brought it up because I just thought, didn't even think anything yeah. of it. You know, compared to my daughter, you know, she, she is and looked and kind of 
acts like a gymnast, you know, she's got up and go and he didn't have any of that. His muscle tone was quite low, I could see. Toileting became an issue. He didn't use the toilet. I mean, we was fine, but bowel, a lot of problems oh, with his bowels, yeah. sluggish. He didn't use the toilet till he was eight. I was changing him continually. Oh, that gives which, me some hope because Charlie's still in... Sorry, Charlie, but still in nappies now oh, and five six, and a half. Five and a half. Um, and oh, it's young yet. Yeah, but he used to be toilet trained, but lost that skill um, a while, about four months ago, which is apparently quite common, but I didn't realise that. So when was the day or do you remember the conversation where you thought, hmm, maybe I should investigate further? I think I kind of somehow did actually look look into autism, read online, and I think I sat on it. I didn't speak to anyone. I remember kind of being a bit freaked and but thinking... But were there other things, other other things, because obviously with just the... Were, were there any other things that you thought um, it could be autism? Was he kind of his social... Was he not kind of bothered by other people or...? I could see he wasn't kind of... When we played with a toy, it was very repetitive. I remember when he was about two... He had a friend and, and I was playing this game where, it was a stupid game, where I just lifted him and Lenny one at a time and put them in this pretend bin yeah. and, and would just say this. And he kept wanting to me to repeat it. And there was this sense of, and I didn't understand why he would enjoy doing that again because we've just done it and we're moving on. And the other child didn't want to do it again. So and, he was just fixating uh, yeah. on this. And he really struggled to go anywhere. He really, at the time I didn't know, like you said, you know, in high insight, he struggled with transitions, getting in the car, getting out of the car, going into a new building, going out of a building. Really big struggles. Did he cry? Meltdowns, meltdowns. Yeah, yeah. Rob spent a lot of his child... I mean, it's really looking back, lying on the floor. So if we went into a restaurant, a cafe, he would hit the floor. And, and it was. And now I can see he was so overwhelmed that sometimes he would fall into a deep sleep, even though he wasn't... Yeah, oh my God, that's so strange that you say that because I took Charlie to um, Natural History Museum because so I was like, I'm going to take you out. And he just lay on the floor and all these people walking over him and I was going, get up, get up. Aww. And he just wouldn't. And he was just a block, you know, a wooden, just so wooden. And he does that now. If he's finding something yeah, difficult, he'll like just lay on the floor. Down. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, you know, I began to understand. I could really feel why Jasper was hitting the floor, like to ground himself, to, to you know, because it, I could see almost like if he's standing up, he's flailing in air. He's got nothing to hang on to. Sometimes I could see him like holding on to the wall almost for something solid. Did what? Did you go the GP route? Um, so because of his bowels, we I really exhausted the GP with everything, and he was just. I mean, it's kind of like he was trying to be nice, but wasn't nice. Wasn't useful enough. Mm. We went to a paediatrician at Lewisham Hospital. Rob was three, and we went into the consulting room, and she said to Rob, "You can play with these toys, whatever." Uh, Rob came over and tried to push me off the chair so that he could lie down. And uh, she started saying to me, do you think that's normal that he's not interested in any of these toys? And then she started saying other things. And then she literally came out with, I think he's got autism. And I was really sort of cross with her. So your initial reaction was anger. Anger, How dare anger. you? How dare you just, you Label know, we come son, in here, basically. we don't know you. You've just met us and, and you say that. And then I got upset. Funny enough, I saw her about... I don't know, a year later, when I was with my daughter in casualty, because she'd done a little fall on a trampoline, she actually came over, remembered me, and said hello and asked how we were. And she said that she'd gone off sick very soon after I'd met her, and she was almost apologising for maybe... 
How blunt she? Being abrupt and stuff, yeah. And she was very warm and, and nice. She referred us that day to the assessment team in London and I was waiting a long time. We, and then eventually we got... What they did then was gave you a developmental check within three months or something. We went for that and the doctor said that she could confirm there and then that he had autism and that she would give the diagnosis from then, that he didn't need to wait to be referred. They were going to give the diagnosis. They gave mm. the diagnosis then and he was just... He was nearly four. Nearly four. And do you remember... Because I remember um, I'd sort of known that... I'd hoped it wasn't, but in deep down I, I knew it was. But when sh- they said the words, I just I just sobbed, basically. I was just sobbing. And they said, yeah, he has autism. And then they just gave me a massive leaflet and they just said... They didn't... It was odd. I mean, I do have a massive problem with that the really? first diagnosis appointment because there's no sort of... He might want a chewy or he might need the lights turned down or you might need to start applying for... I mean, there's nothing. It's, he's autistic, bye. And so everything, you know, so many mums are like, oh, my son doesn't sleep. Why doesn't he sleep? Oh, have you tried melatonin? What's melatonin? It's like... Mm. So... Um, we all know what melatonin is now. Oh, we all do, yeah. <laughs> it's great stuff. I remember coming out of the meeting with the doctor where she said, you know, I'm giving him a diagnosis of autism. I went into towards my car in the car park and I was absolutely beside myself in tears. And I remember this woman coming up to me and saying, what's wrong? Are you okay? Kindly. And I said, yeah, I'm fine. And I just got in the car and wept. Yeah. And a bit surprised at my reaction. But yeah. looking back now, I'm not surprised really. What happened then? Did he, I mean, because... So I, I've never I've never met Rob, but not not that this means it's easy autism or it's which I, you know, it's it's one of those things where he he is verbal. Yes, he is very verbal. Yes, um, very very. And he was always that way. He was. He was uh, no, he, he his speech was late. I remember the health visitor coming at two, and again I was a little bit cross with her because she told me that he wasn't meeting his developmental milestones, and that his speech was delayed, and I was like. It's fine, just let him be. Just let him be. <laughs> let him yeah. develop at his own pace. Yeah. So then what does school look like? Do you go for, you're going for mainstream, he goes to school. What was your experience? Oh, it was a nightmare. Of... <laughs> because my daughter was already at the school and was very like a, she's very bright. She was performing well at school. She was good at this. She was very good at art at school and she was very good at writing and, you know, and I never got a phone call about her ever. She was absolutely fine. You know, we just had our 10-minute chats and I said to the head teacher, my daughter's four years older, and I said to the head teacher, uh, I was just a bit concerned because Rob's got a diagnosis of autism and he's coming in here in September. And the head teacher said, well, you can forget about that. As in, you can forget about that diagnosis. And then a little bit later, I had to have the conversation with him. As in, he's not coming here or...? As forget about the autism, that's ridiculous nonsense. Oh, it doesn't exist, sure. And then I had to have another conversation with him because when Jasper started school, he obviously, from what I said, he he wasn't using the toilet and he was pooing his pants all the time. Right. And he would need changing once or twice a day and I was going in the, into the school to change him. How you couldn't and, work, I guess, no, that time. No, and I was get in situations where I get in a phone call from school, you need to come in now. And then I remember one day going in there and the, uh, another kid said, why are you here, why are you here? And yeah. Rob said to change, to change my bum, of course. And I just thought, this isn't right. And this, and then I met with the t- head teacher and said, can you change him within the school? And he said, over our dead body. And oh, gosh, I, I had a similar thing. So 
Obviously, Charlie went to mainstream reception because, you know, at that time he didn't present like he does now. And we thought, you know, give it a try. And they, they, they were awful. Um, I mean, it's obviously they, they couldn't handle Ch- Charlie. So you're going in, you're changing, you're thinking this is not right. And what other things did he struggle with? Obviously not social interaction. From the very first time he went to school, he would scream and I'd have to pass him over to a member of staff. And he'd kind of be hysterical. Then he'd calm down when I'd left. When I'd pick him up, you know, I remember in reception, he'd start kicking me and kind of like melt down in front of me. And the teacher said, you know, he's all right with us all day. Yes, that's typical, like hold it in all day and then let it out when mum... Yeah, it really was like he would just go kind of ballistic. When he got home, it was hard to get him home. What did he enjoy at home? Did he have narrowed interests? Was there like a couple of things he liked doing? Or? At that time, we did have friends around. It was it was quite hard though. You know, I remember doing a lot of things to try and I started a little art group up with a friend of mine who's an artist and my son Rob uh, would scream about halfway through each session. And did you it find difficult. it quite easy to tell people about his autism? And had you, because you were living it, would you... I didn't because my son Rob is very verbal... And I think people are generally very kind and want to say nice things that people say, oh, he's fine, can't see anything. What's his special, what's his skill? What's his, yeah, yeah that's the common thing, isn't it? Yeah. There'll be something that he yeah, excels that means in. He'll be really good at maths or something. Yeah. Did he stay at that school or did he go He to stayed at that school. And it was really stressful for him. He stayed until he was in year four. I applied for a statement in year two. He was turned down. I applied again in year three. Uh, He was given a statement. He was given a TA for 24 hours a week. It didn't make a lot of difference because all that was doing really was saying, you've got the TAs here to help you do what you've got to do. But he would really struggle. He has problems that people wouldn't listen to or understand around generating ideas. He can't just write something on a piece of paper. He would cry. Other parents were telling me that they saw him wedged behind a piece of wood in the playground for the whole hour of a lunchtime, looking distressed. The school told me he was fine. I went in one day to the playground and I found him hiding and I said to the playground staff, you know, how's, how's Rob getting on? And yeah. they, I don't even think they knew who he was, but they said, oh, he's fine. And I said, because he's actually hiding over there and had been for a long time and they, they wouldn't have known. So I couldn't really trust what the school was saying because yeah. I could see they didn't really... You know, they didn't know where he was in the playground. I have a real grasp of his needs and what he's coping with every day. And it became more and more difficult. In year two, I was managing to carry him into school every day. By year four, he was refusing violently and he started running down the road, picking up sticks and would attack any... You know, a teacher came to help, other people would come and he would attack them as well. It wasn't like he would go for anybody... It became more and more and more and more difficult. The school were not being supportive. The attendance and welfare officers were writing me letters saying that they were going to take me to court. I had a final warning for court. And I I read this letter the other day and it says, you know, we're well aware that uh, Rob has got special needs, but that does not mean that he doesn't have to go to school. You still have a duty to take him to school. So it was very it's much like, about I am taking him to my, school. my failings all the time. It was about the fact you're, you're failing to take him to school. You started to homeschool Rob, didn't you? I never started to homeschool Rob. I was forced into a situation where where he couldn't attend school. From from year four in primary, he actually went to a specialist autism school, which when I was driving him there and back every day, 
it's 10 miles from home. Wow. It went well with this one particular teacher for a year. And then when the new term started, things fell apart. He ended up just going in for one morning a week. The school weren't able to be flexible in terms of they just said he's got to go back in the classroom, but they were asking him to go back into what he couldn't cope with. He started going for an hour. He started self-harming at home. He was very stressed. His tics, nightmares began, and we just had to stop. So that's the time when you were like, there's no other option now. It's So he was 10 years old, 10, 11, and he never went back to school ever again. He's been at home ever since. He's he struggles to leave the house. He doesn't leave the house ever. He only leaves the house. There's one group that I've set up for young for the, the gamers people group. with autism, and he goes to that once a week. He will not go to the shop. He won't go anywhere. A couple of weeks ago, we tried to get him out somewhere. He was physically shaking. He said to me, I'm shaking. And I don't think he realised that the shaking, to him, he, he could just see his body shaking. He wasn't saying, I'm anxious. He's just saying, my fingers are shaking. So I could see the, in, the inability to focus on the actual emotion rather yeah. than the physical. Thing. Rob wasn't able to leave the house anymore. He actually ended up, because of violent behaviour towards me, I was covered in bruises a little bit more than... I should ever have been and he was self-harming he was talking about killing himself he ended up as an inpatient in a psychiatric children's ward for about four months part-time is this when he was about 30 this 14? was when he was 12 so 13 young. god shit that's tough so that was quite traumatic tough yeah. for him but it helped him there was an excellent school there where he got the best schooling he's ever had that he began to engage with and then coming out of there, he was back at home with nothing. We we worked really closely with the hospital to reintegrate him into a school. And the day that he went for his trial there, he sat on the floor refusing to do PE and the teacher shouted at him and said he had to do it with everybody else. And he ran out of the school, down the road, highly stressed, in a major panic attack. And they phoned me up and they it didn't work out. Sadly, and and I think if only they'd said it's it's okay, PE's not a big deal. We'd rather you come to school and manage. You know, PE's not the end of the world. Have an hour in the library. Yeah. Join us after. But also, but no. just that little bit of education. If you've got someone with autism in your class, you don't approach them in that way. You have to. Yeah, adjust. and this was when Rob was in a unit for anxiety as well. So I thought it was most inappropriate way to definitely support him really. And sadly, of course, it didn't work because that doesn't work. And he's been at home the past five years and I've not been able to go to work really, which has been really difficult. Yeah. I, felt, I, did, I did work. I'm a qualified social worker and I had some time working, but I was re it was so stressful because I was really happy meeting my needs to go to work and I'd go to work and I'd wake up Rob was going to sleep because he went nocturnal. He wasn't oh, able he? to structure his own day. He put on a huge amount of weight. Yeah, it was really difficult. He, he put on a lot of weight. He's, he's since, after this, lost a lot of weight and went down to eight stone and, and was, you know, on the verge of an eating disorder and needed some support with that. Yeah, It's all been tricky. And I've, I really despair looking back on how school, you know, I remember reading this TA note that she'd written about Rob told her that he wanted to stab himself in the chest and that she'd forgotten to mention it or write it down 
mm. but that she that some boys wanted to do some music and I just felt their priorities weren't and if I ever dared to suggest or challenge or, or say anything, they'd just say that the TA is an expert in autism and she's had all the training going and sadly she really wasn't. The SEND caseworker has never met Rob, doesn't really understand, doesn't listen. I, I think there's a disrespect for what the parents say. So luckily we've really got a lot of support from CAMS that have been excellent in terms of saying to the local authority, you know, this child has unusual difficulties with engaging. We've tried everything. This is not, you know, the, I remember at the last meeting he announced in front of everybody that this was not an issue around parenting. So, so I, I feel like they've come Good. in and stepped up and protected but I have had a social worker write down in, in a conversation with a same case worker that the problems lie with the mother in that she doesn't encourage her child to leave the house and that is just so insulting very insulting because no one knows your child no better. but the neighbours have seen me violently wrestle him out of the house on many occasions <laughs> you know yeah. this is not a case of the mother doesn't try you've put some of his art into an exhibition yeah alongside, so how alongside that, how all that, the trauma there yeah. is this amazing talent within Rob that he, because he's not at school and he's not as stressed as he was he's been able to tune into his own strengths and I found a support worker about seven years ago that I then managed to get employed as a as a sort of tutor with Rob and he's just been amazing and they found a way of creating projects that have a sort of beginning end so they've they've made a book of comics and we had a big book launch that Rob actually attended and talks of being the happiest day of his life. Wow. They made a film together, which is an amazing 20-minute film. They've just had an exhibition in an art gallery in the centre of London, which was amazing. I mean, this is like more than I've done in my entire life and this is so yeah. something, so it really does prove that yeah. you get the right person. My daughter's studying art at college and... And it's funny because we say, you know, Rob's had a couple of exhibitions. What and, have you done? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she hasn't had any. <laughs> Is that something that he's always loved to do? Drawing, comic books, arts, yeah, creation? They've just... An amazing project they've just done together is a radio plate. And this was more led by Rob. Rob did all the soundtrack, all the music, all the editing of uh, recording and he they wrote a play together and it's it's about a support group for superheroes and rob got each person on their own to record their lines printed out the whole play printed out their parts and he was amazing at really encouraging them to do it and when they were nervous really supportive really inspired them everyone came away saying oh i really love that and then we had a big party where we got everybody together that was that took part. And then the radio play was a complete radio play. And it's an hour long and it's actually it really, really good. Support group. I have to put a link to it. I have to put a link to it. Yeah, yeah. It's on YouTube. Um, is it? Yeah. Oh, wow. And so it's really hilariously funny and it's really unique. It's not something that Rob could have done at school. It's so unique. It's so coming from him. His collaboration with his support worker is just a work of art in itself. And sadly, and this is so sad, the local authority and the tutor group that employed this support worker wanted actually wanted them to stop working together, saying that it wasn't healthy and there was dependency. Not only did they not support their work, they actually trashed it really and I had to weave around different ways to find funding and now eventually after much battling we've the local authority wanted him to go wanted Rob to go to a residential school for £165,000 a year 
when it comes to giving me a personal budget, they've given me £15,000 a year. Unfortunately, I think it's a, it is something. I don't think it's enough to really meet Rob's needs. And I think they would happily part with 165000 get him out of Borough off their case. But also from the history of this child's it's not a possibility anyway and it shouldn't even no. be mentioned it shouldn't even be but it's yeah. crazy how they would willing to spend they were 165 willing to, spend, to just yeah, get so him off there from my experience it's not been about money really I, I, I really think they do not understand that he has the problems he has and I really do think the same caseworker as evidenced by her saying that I don't encourage him to leave the house yeah. prefer to focus on parent bashing than looking at Rob's needs what do you hope and what do you see? Are there chinks of light or are you still, because if you say... It's hard. I, I think all through, unlike my daughter, there was a chunk of light all the time where we mm. knew what was happening. We always knew what we were working towards. There was joy and, and strength and celebrations all the time. And with my son, it's it's not like that. And and I felt like there's been times where I've had to create like a light or a, or a goal or, or some hope or something. And at the moment, I feel a bit... I feel a bit lost because the locals, you know, we're now going to try. I've just had the tribunal thing back today. Oh, yeah. And they're disputing, you know, lots of things. That, and, and what they've written is a bit ridiculous because they don't even, they've never met him. They don't even know him. They're just. But it's the tribunal for the. The ECHP. Yeah. So I, I'm looking for it to be up to £25,000 a year so yeah. that he can have 25 hours a week education. It's difficult now. Cams are saying we need to revisit the residential. But if they don't do this, then this child or another child will end up costing them so much more yeah, in yeah. the long run if yeah. they don't just help them now. I mean, this is obviously a child yeah. who is intelligent, has skills, can put yeah. back into society. Yeah, just with said, the right support. With the right support, which is a small percentage of what they're willing to, A, send, send that child away for to get them out of the borough, and yeah. two, what they're going to spend in tribunals and lawyers yeah, yeah. trying to prove that yeah. they're right. I don't... That's the yeah. massive it's issue. A, it feels very weird when I look at the tribunal stuff because when you get to tribunal stuff like that, it is like the local authority versus the parent. You that's sh- how all the paperwork is. Yeah. And that's like what, you know, that should not be how this is no because it should not be a battle against it should be everybody working focused on completely because Rob's needs but it's not lest we forget these children will one day be adults and they will be living in the world which we soon won't be so actually I think their best interests are um, the most important thing when you tell people your son is autistic what would you want their reaction to be well uh, ideally it would be fantastic if they would say, oh, right, I have some understanding of that. And that they didn't say anything stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess, and I always say it must be actually harder for parents of the verbal children, but that actually they struggle just as much with the hardships that my I son think it's face. a bit of a funny thing to, it, to say low and high functioning because, yeah. you know, for my child, he, he's, he's what people say is high functioning, but he has some very huge barriers of, of being able to engage socially which you know I, I find that whole yeah, well, that's, table a bit well that's the thing you know it's like you can be functioning in some ways but not functioning in other ways at all so yeah. actually it doesn't really I'd say severe is a better way of for my son yeah. is better yeah. in terms of his needs are in terms of his physical yeah. needs are yeah. very so quite severe needs, needs. your needs yeah I'd love somebody to say you know if I said my son has autism I guess a response I'd love to hear is how does that affect him you know, and that so they're not assuming anything. They're they're asking me, how does that show itself? 
Autism is a spectrum condition. All autistic people share certain difficulties, but being autistic will affect them in different ways. Some autistic people also have learning disabilities, mental health issues, or other conditions, meaning people need different levels of support. All people on the autism spectrum learn and develop. With the right sort of support, all can be helped to live a more fulfilling life of their own choosing. To learn more about autism, you can visit the National Autistic Society website on autism.org.uk. This podcast was created, written and edit produced by me, Maisie Clater. And the music that you hear in this podcast was written and produced by Kit Milsom, who also records and edits the show. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, maybe even write a little review and rate us.